Thanks for joining us today for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church in Imperial Valley. The church office is open Monday to Friday, 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. at 590 West Orange Avenue in El Centro, or call 760-337-9400 for information or for prayer. Christ Community Church has three campuses in El Centro, Brawley, and Calexico, plus a congregation in Spanish. As we navigate the end of the COVID-19 quarantine season and transition to in-person regathering, we encourage you to find up-to-date information about events and each campus's worship service schedule. When you follow us on social media, on our website at www.cccib.org, or simply download the CCCIV app, you'll find the direct link to the app at www.cccib.org forward slash get the app or when you text cccib app to 77977 you have your bibles open to daniel chapter 10 at this point in the book of daniel he's really kind of tying things up we're coming down to the end we've seen lots and lots of stories and i want just for a moment just pretend with me all right put your pretend caps on you guys do that remember when you were in you know kindergarten they say okay put your pretend cap on I want you to put your pretend cap on just for a second and pretend with me that you're a friend of Daniel. And there you are, you're, you know, seated outside in your patio and you have your raspado and your churros locos and you're just sharing stories, right? And, and here's, what, here's what happens, right? It's time for Daniel. And it comes around to Daniel. What's the biggest thing, the most exciting thing that has ever happened in your life? What do you think he would share? What story do you think he'd go to? Because we've read story after story after story, Right? What story do you think he would go to? You know, he could start at the very beginning. And he could say there was this time when all of the wise men were in danger of being executed because the king had a dream and he wouldn't share the dream with anyone. He expected the wise men to be able to know what the dream was and then also to be able to give its interpretation. And I went to my friends and I said, friends, listen, let's fast. Let's, let's seek the Lord together. And I'm going to go before the king and I'll give him this interpretation. And it happens and all of the wise men are spared and Daniel is honored, esteemed greatly. Would he have told that story? Maybe he would have recounted the story of his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who when the, the opportunity came for them to fall down and to worship the image that Nebuchadnezzar had erected, just like the rest of the nation, they refused to do so. And because of that, they were thrown into a fiery furnace. And there in the fiery furnace, the scripture says that Nebuchadnezzar looks within and he says, didn't we throw three men into the furnace? And yet I see a fourth, and the fourth is as the Son of God walking in the midst of the fire. Would he share that story? Maybe he would share the story of this time when the kingdom had gathered and the king was there and there was a great feast, a great party. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, a hand appeared and wrote on a wall, Mene, Mene, Tekel, Umfarsin, numbered, numbered, your days are numbered. Right? And how no one would have known what that was. But someone in that meeting place, someone in that festival, that feast, remember there's a man, Daniel, who can interpret dreams. Let's call for him. And Daniel comes and he says, listen, this is the word of the Lord for you. Your days are numbered. And that night they were captured. Would he tell that story? Maybe he'd tell the story of the days when... All throughout the kingdom, it was outlawed to pray to anyone other than to the king. They couldn't pray to the God of Israel, right? He couldn't pray to the king of kings and the Lord of the lords. But what does he do? He goes up into his room. He opens the windows. He faces towards the temple in Jerusalem. And he prays three times a day as he always did. And there the, they were waiting to capture him. 
They take him and they throw him into a den of lions. They roll a stone over that den and night, all night long he's there with those lions. The king comes in the morning, rolls the stone away. Daniel, has your God been able to deliver you from the lions? And Daniel calls out, I'm unharmed, king. Would he have told that story? I mean, story after story after story, right? I mean, you and I would be sick from all the raspados and churros locos we'd be inhaling during this story time. But I think that if he were to tell one thing, this is the one thing that happened in my life that overshadows all of the rest. It would be right here in Daniel chapter 10. See, in Daniel chapter 10, he's not receiving a vision of what's going to happen in the kingdoms of the world. He's not interpreting another person's dreams. He's not having to go and to pray, even though it's been outlawed throughout the land. Here in Daniel chapter 10, Daniel himself has an encounter, a revelation of Jesus Christ himself. And if there was a moment that Daniel would look back on his life and say, here's my one moment. If I could only share one story from my life with you, this is the moment that I would share. This one right here in Daniel chapter 10. Are you ready to read it together? We're going to read the first couple of verses and we're going to kind of dissect this and take this apart. All right. So as we begin, if you have your outlines, take out those outlines. If you're following along at home, you can follow the outline through the app. Uh, on your phone. But the first point that I want you to write down there as we look into this vision that Daniel's going to receive of Jesus is we're going to get a glimpse, catch a glimpse into the heart of Daniel. If you're taking notes, write that down, the heart of Daniel. Daniel chapter 10, verse 1, in the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a word was revealed to Daniel who was named Belteshazzar, and the word was true, and it was great conflict, and he understood the word and an understanding of the vision. And in those days, I, Daniel, was mourning for three weeks. So it begins here with this idea, that, and really we have to kind of get the, set, the setting. We have to kind of paint a picture of what the scene looks like. And it begins really with the desperate condition of Daniel. So we're going to see Daniel's desperation. If we, as we look into his heart, we're going to see a man who's desperate, desperately wanting an encounter with God. He needs to have a vision from the Lord. He needs to hear from God during this time. He's desperate for that. And we're going to see how when he becomes desperate for that, God is going to answer that desperation. And I want you to make note of that here because there's something that we can all learn from that. There's a spiritual lesson that is there. And the lesson is this. When you and I become desperate enough, God will show up. But until we're desperate enough, God might stand back and wait and say, you're just not ready for the vision yet. You're just not quite ready for that revelation yet. That's why when we look around at our culture and we see what's happening in America and in the world scene, and, and, if, and if we're not careful, we can look at it and we can just stand back and we can be so grieved and our hearts should mourn to some degree. But at the same time, if God is doing a work in the midst of our culture, in the midst of the people, and he's quickening us, He's readying us. He's bringing us to the point of desperation so that we truly cry out to God that desperation, whatever it takes to get to that desperate place is worth it if it results in the vision that we can receive from Jesus. Right? So look at here. It says there very clearly, it was in the third year of Cyrus, 
king of Persia. This would have been around the year 536 BC. If you're like a history buff and you want to write some of this stuff down, great. If not, you don't have to worry about it. Let me just share it anyway. Humor me, if you will, right? 536 BC, uh, that's the year this would be. At this point in time, Daniel is about 85 years old. 605 BC is when Babylon first took the Israelites captive and took them back into Babylon. So it's been about 70 years. So Daniel was around, you know, 14, 15, 16 years old, somewhere in that that timeline when he was first taken captive to Babylon, right? So he's been there for 70 years. And we know from reading scripture that he understands, spiritually speaking, that something is going to happen after 70 years. Why? Because he's a student of the word himself. And I love this about Daniel, right? Daniel was familiar with the writings of Jeremiah the prophet. Here's a man who's written a book of the scriptures that we're studying right now himself, but he himself was a student of the word. You never know enough. If you're in a place as a, as a mature Christian here today, and you've kind of taken your foot off the gas a little bit, you know what I'm talking about. Those of, right now, I'm saying it, and you're like, man, ooh, that's like a knife. You have enough scriptures memorized. You've done enough serving of the Lord. You can kind of sit back, and you can just coast. Right? Well, here's the deal. If you're not growing closer to the Lord today and you were yesterday, then you're really regressing. Daniel was constantly seeking after the Lord. He was familiar with the writings of Jeremiah the prophet. And this is what Jeremiah the prophet wrote in Jeremiah chapter 29. Verses 10 and 11. And we know these verses well. And oftentimes we use these as a popcorn verse for blessings in our own life. But if you put this in context, here Jeremiah, the Lord was speaking to the Israelites. He wasn't speaking to the church, right? He wasn't speaking to to your grandmother who has this verse on her coffee cup. The Lord was speaking to Israel. And this is what it says in context. Look at this, verse 10. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, when when the time is complete, when I've done what I want to do in Babylon, I will visit you, I will fulfill you my promise and bring you back to this place. I'm going to bring you back to Israel. The Lord is speaking to his people. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare or peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. Now, we know that verse well, don't we? But you have to, and it's okay for you to claim that as your promise. You absolutely should claim that as your promise. But before that was your promise, that was a promise to Israel. And God is going to fulfill his promise. And we see God fulfilling his promise to the nation of Israel in Ezra chapter 1. You can write that down. We don't have time to turn there. But Ezra chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, you're going to see how Cyrus makes a decree. And in his heart, you can kind of hear a little bit of pride there. He's like, you know what? I, I've, I'm the king of basically all of the known land. And God has placed it in my heart that I should help him rebuild his temple. Can you, you can kind of hear the pride and the arrogance in his voice, right? But nonetheless, what he does Again, after 70 years, just like Jeremiah had prophesied, he sends the Israelites, or he he goes to the Israelites. He says, you can go back and you can begin to rebuild your temple. That happens in Ezra chapter 1. You can read that. Okay, so now here we see uh, Daniel's in this place. He's in in this place of intense mourning. So he's there in the third year. The, The people have already returned. They've already gone back. They've begun to rebuild their temple, right? This should be a time of great excitement and rejoicing. But Daniel is there in his prayer closet, and his heart is still grieving. His heart is still broken. Why would his heart be broken? His heart is broken because you can read in Ezra chapter 2, how when the king says, okay, you can return to the promised land, you can return to the land of your inheritance, that there were only about 50,000 people who returned, and that included the slaves. 
So they're given permission, go back home. You can go back home. It's waiting for you. Just go back. I'm releasing you. I'm setting you free. No more bondage. No more slavery. You're no longer under my thumb. I'm inviting you. I'm asking you, go back to your land. And 50,000 people return. How crazy is that? But if you read the scripture, you'll see throughout the scripture that Israel has this problem. In Exodus chapter 3, the Lord appears to Moses, and we're going to see this in a little bit, but the Lord appears to Moses and says, I've heard the cries of my children. How for over 400 years, they've been in bondage and in slavery in Egypt. And I've heard their cries. And now what I'm going to do is I want to raise you up, Moses, as a deliverer to set the people free, to lead the people out of bondage. So what does Moses do? He does just that. He leads the people from bondage. But if you look in Numbers chapter 11, there's this little side note. And it says that the people, the Israelites, during the Exodus, when they're being set free from bondage in Egypt, they have this strong craving. And they start desiring meat. And they, they despise that the only food they have is the manna that God is providing from heaven. And they say, we remember what it was like in Egypt. We remember the onions and the leeks and the cucumbers and the melons and the fish. Do you know what they're saying? They're saying, we remember the rations we were given when we were slaves. But all of a sudden, they desired that. They desired to give up the fight. They desired to stop fighting to inherit the promise, and they just wanted to go back to slavery. You go a few chapters further in Numbers chapter 14, and you'll read how after there's this incredible report that is brought back by the 12 spies, and 10 spies say there's no way we can inherit this land. Those people are larger than we are. It's a land filled with giants. We cannot do this. Caleb and Joshua, they say, the Lord is with us. We can do this, right? The people in their hearts, they're grieved. And they say, why would God bring us from Egypt to die at the hands of these giants? Let's elect leaders to take us back to Egypt. What are they saying? They're saying, let's go back to bondage. Let's go back to slavery. And this is why Daniel's heart is in mourning. Here we've been released. Here we've been set free from bondage, but we want to continue in bondage. Our people, we've become accustomed to living in Babylon. Just like the Israelites before them wanted to go back to Egypt. I wonder, I wonder if the Lord would look down from his throne today and he would look at the church in America and he would say, you've become so accustomed to living in Babylon. You're so accustomed to worldliness. You're so accustomed to just living this kind of lifestyle. You've been in bondage for so long, and you've just grown used to it. And our hearts should mourn for these people. Our hearts should grieve for those who are caught up in bondage, who are comfortable in Babylon, who are comfortable in Egypt. And if you are comfortable in Babylon today, you need to repent because God has set you free. And if you refuse to walk in freedom, you have no one to blame but yourself. If you keep returning to the same sin over and over and over again, the same bondage over and over and over again, that is your fault and your fault alone. You need to repent and cry out to God. The scripture says this, Jesus said, whom the Son sets free is free indeed. And I wonder if we are indeed living as free or are we still shackled in our sin? The scripture says in Proverbs that as a dog returns to his vomit, so a sinner returns over and over again to his folly. I wonder how many of us in the room would identify with that. You know, why do I keep going back to that same sin? Why do I keep, we, I've been given freedom and yet I choose to live in bondage. It just doesn't make sense. 
the Lord wants you to be free from that today. Free from that cycle. Free from returning to that over and over and over again. So you see this mourning that is happening in Daniel. And this morning, what the response that he has for this state of desperation, he's desperate over the condition of the people. He's desperate that they want to live in Babylon when the promised land is right there for the taking. He's desperate for them, and we should be desperate for the lost around us as well. But Daniel doesn't just stop at desperation. He just doesn't let it sit there. He does something with that desperation, and that desperation turns into supplication, if you're taking notes. Daniel takes that desperation before the Lord, and that's Daniel's supplication. He's crying out to God before the Lord. Look at what it says here. It says, in those days, I, Daniel, was mourning, verse 2. Verse 3 now, I ate no delicacies. For three weeks, he says, I ate no delicacies. Man, no raspados and no churros locos. Right? No pandulces. No, none of that stuff. He stopped eating those things. He, he withheld those things because there was something that was more important to him. He hungered for something more than he hungered for those delicacies. Look at, read on with me. He says, I didn't eat delicacies, no wine, no meat, no porterhouse steaks, no T-bones, no ribeyes, those cattlemen, Tom, I'm sorry, right? If everyone followed Daniel's diet, then Tom would be put out of business. Right, But he says, I, I desire something more than I desire delicacy and meat and wine. I desire a move of God. And I'm willing to, to withhold. I'm willing to deny myself those things so that God would hear the cry of my heart. Right? So I, I love Daniel's example that he sets here. He says, you know, not only did he not uh, eat for three weeks. Look at this. This would be a problem for some of you. This would be a problem for me. He says, nor did I anoint myself at all. For three full weeks. He didn't bathe for three full weeks. Okay, now, if, if we were all here gathered together today in the Imperial Valley climate, the Imperial Valley beautiful weather, and we hadn't bathed for three weeks, services would be really short, right? Everyone would be wearing masks. Not because you're afraid of getting sick, but because you do not want to smell what would be happening, right? You know, he says, not only did I not bathe, again, bathing wasn't as easy in these days as we take for granted today. You know, they would anoint themselves with oil in order to be able to cover up the smell. He says, I didn't do that for three weeks. You know, if you guys think back to, you men in the room, you'll relate to this. You think back to your junior high locker room, <laughs> right? Now, it smells terrible. It really smells horrible. And, you know, people have left their gym shorts and their gym shirts They've left those in the locker for like a month. They haven't taken them home to wash them. And that's just festering it there, right? You educators, in the, you know this. But what do those junior high boys do? And probably some high school guys do too. I mean, they're, they're, they don't shower. There's state-of-the-art showers there. Nobody showers. They just spray Axe body spray all over their body, right? It would smell like that here. Daniel says, I... I didn't even anoint myself, I, 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 everything I had. I wanted to seek the Lord with all of it. I laid aside all of those luxuries because there was something that I hungered after and that I thirsted after more. That's the way I want our hearts to be. You know, you think about it sometimes, and I wonder what we communicate to the Lord in our prayer life. Jesus said to those uh, disciples who were dumbfounded that they couldn't deliver the demon-possessed boy by the father who asked. He said, this kind cannot go out except by what? By prayer and fasting. 
And here's the truth, and this is hard truth for even myself, okay? So I swallow this pill along with you. But if what I'm asking the Lord for, if I don't desire that more than I desire dessert tonight, there's something wrong with my heart. If I don't want to see people set free more than I desire having a steak every now and then, there's something. If I'm not willing to give that up to see people around me, to see their hearts changed, there's something wrong with me. And if you have something that you've been praying for fervently in your life, Right, And God would hear that, that, that cry of your heart. He, he's listening. We'll see that in a second. God knows your prayer, but if you haven't proven to the Lord, if you haven't really desired that thing more than some of the luxuries in life, if you haven't sit, laid some of those things aside, do you really desire it at all? I mean, how badly do you really want your marriage restored? How badly do you really want that person in your life to be healed? Are you real, really willing to express that through denying yourself luxuries so that your supplication can come before the Lord? Do you follow me? So he has this great desperation that turns to supplication, and it's answered here. And Daniel has this amazing revelation. I want you to read this with me. Uh, again, pick it up in verse 3. I ate no delicacies. I ate no meat, no wine. Uh, it didn't enter my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all for three full weeks. And on the 24th day of the first month, that would have been the time of Passover, Okay? He's fasting during the season of Passover. As I was standing on the bank of the great river, that is the Tigris. Look at this map real quick. Uh, the Tigris River runs through modern-day Iraq. Okay? And it's, you know, th this is, this is a, a map of Iraq. Uh, the only reason why I bring this up is because I want you to see where this is taking place. Again, they were taken captive by, Babylon, by the Babylonians to begin with. Babylonians, the Babylon is modern-day Iraq. Okay, Persia is modern-day Iran. These lands are still there. God is still using and working his plan out through these people, through Israel, through Persia, through Babylon. You know, they're known as Iraq and Iran. These things are still happening today. This word is still coming to pass. He can take that map off. So look at this now, verse 5. So he's standing by the Tigris River. He's been fasting. He's been mourning. He's been seeking the Lord. He's been bringing his supplications before God. And he's standing there by the river, and he lifts up his eyes. I lifted my eyes, and I looked, and behold, a man clothed in linen. This man, again, is going to be a picture, a vision of Jesus, a Christophany, a, a pre-incarnate manifestation of Jesus. What God does is he sees Daniel's heart. He sees the desperate condition. He sees that that's followed through with, with a, a sincere supplication. And God meets Daniel with this revelation, this vision of who Jesus is. So he sees this man, and he's clothed in linen. That linen would speak of Jesus' priestly role. The priests would wear linen, white linens, when they would go into the temple or the tabernacle in order to fulfill their duties, in order to do their ministry, in order to bring the sacrifices and the offerings and burn the incense and to light the lamps. When they did all of that ministry, they would clothe themselves in priestly garments. This shows us that Jesus is a priest. What is a priest? A priest is someone who is a mediator between God and man. The scripture says that there's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. There is one way that we get to heaven and one way alone. There is one name in which we pray, the name of Jesus. Do you ever wonder why we pray in Jesus' name? It's because we come through our mediator. We come through our priest, the man Jesus Christ. Right? So here we see him clothed in, in this 
robes of these robes of linen. Read on with me. It was girded, or there was a belt of fine gold from Euphaz around his waist. That gold would speak of his role as a king. Gold, a metal fit for a king. You read on. His body was like beryl, which is a precious stone. Think of a really uh, beautiful, precious stone. His face like the appearance of lightning. Do you guys? Uh, did you guys wait up or were you guys awake when we had that storm last week? Pretty impressive, right? And you think about that, there was lots and lots of lightning and thunder. And, you know, the, one of the doors at the church was left unlocked. And so I, I had to drive in and I was watching all around. I came in to, to lock the door. And all around, all around the valley, there's this lightning everywhere. And this scripture right here says that his face is like that lightning, right? Lightning, it, it speaks of glory. It speaks of captivating your attention, that when you're in the presence of Jesus, you have no choice but to give him your attention, to give him your affections, right? To, to be glorious means to gather attention. And that's what this speaks of here, that this man, he has the robes of a priest. He has the belt of a, of a king. His body is like precious jewels. His, his, his face is the appearance of lightning. Read on with me. His eyes like flaming torches, which would speak of his ability to look right into your heart. Thanks for joining us today for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church in Imperial Valley. The church office is open Monday to Friday, 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. at 590 West Orange Avenue in El Centro. Or call 760-337-9400 for information or for prayer. Christ Community Church has three campuses in El Centro, Raleigh, and Calexico, plus a congregation in Spanish. As we navigate the end of the COVID-19 quarantine season and transition to in-person regathering, we encourage you to find up-to-date information about events and each campus's worship service schedule. When you follow us on social media, on our website at www.cccib.org or simply download the cccib app you'll find the direct link to the app at www.cccib.org forward slash get the app or when you text cccib app to 77977